everybody. Welcome to episode 69 of the Mountain Bike Podcast presented by Worldwide Cyclery. Hi. How you doing, Steve? I'm good. I'm Jonathan, uh, one of your co-hosts here. Steven and I co-host this Mountain Bike Podcast. We absolutely love it. We do. We're back in the studio. Mm -hmm. uh, thanks to Worldwide Cyclery, first and foremost, uh, for supporting the show. Pretty awesome place. You can yeah. go to store or go to mtvpodcast.com, go to the store, then click the Worldwide Cyclery banner, and then a cut of that gets sent into the podcast. Um, but the thing that I want to mention really quick is they have been putting out a massive amount of content recently. They have. Some really good stuff. They even have had uh, basically an ask me anything mm -hmm. with uh, their CEO, Jeff. We can attest to the shred factor of Jeff. It's mm -hmm. very high. Yes. The shred quotient is high. It's like I've 11 out of 10. Yeah. I've seen his dirt unibrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah he's I have really, pictures. Just ask. He and and a ton of the employees there, they all know what they're doing. Yes, they do. Uh, really good folks. And then this type of place where it's not just like some online retail place where you talk to some guy that's who knows where in the world on customer support. And he's never worked on bikes before. Right. He just sells part numbers. All of these people are extremely you know, adept riders that know what they're doing. They're eager to answer questions. Anyways, for those of you that are loyal listeners of the podcast, you already know this, but yes. we get new listeners all the time. And for new listeners, please check out Worldwide Cyclery. And you can do so just by going to our store. Um, they're awesome. Can some of our many fans in Sweden buy from them? Uh, you know, that's a great question. That is a great question. I we don't know. <laughs> Thanks for asking questions we don't know the answer to, Steve. <laughs> All right. I'm just wondering, since we're huge in Sweden. It's you true. Know. We actually are huge in Sweden. Yeah. 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 Uh, we should also thank Trainer Road. We should. Uh, I'm on my lunch break right now. And uh, we're at Trainer Road. We're at Trainer Road in the podcast uh, recording studio here. Yes. So uh, getting ready for tomorrow's podcast, I'm going to record where we're going to have four people on the Trainer Road podcast. I was going to say, there's an extra... Microphone. It's going to be hard to make us all fit. Uh, anyways, uh, today's episode is going to be a bit different. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, I, I was gone for the past, geez, almost two weeks, roughly. You're making pizza and French fries in <laughs> yeah. BC. A lot more fries than pizza. That's well, for darn sure. True. Yeah. Uh, I, I just want to give this a plug really quick. So first, and we're going to tie it in with cross training because today's episode is going to be a bit of news and a lot of questions. Yes. We're getting a ton of questions again. Thank you. You can submit them at mtbpodcast.com. Uh, continue to do that. But, uh, so I went to Powder Creek Lodge and for those that don't know the interior of BC, or in this case, we were in the Kootenays uh, in that region by Nelson. Mm -hmm. And actually, I guess technically in the Purcells, but, uh, we were in central BC in terms of, you know, we're talking west to east, but then uh, lower, pretty close to the border actually. Yeah, you guys are like north of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho ish. Yeah, yeah. North yeah. of Coeur d'Alene, about four and a half hours if you were to drive it, uh, maybe a little more. Um, but, and anyways, so for those that don't know, this is really cool for mountain bikers too. So that whole region Basically, what the Canadian government did was they divided crown land, which is akin to public land here in the U.S., which is BLM. akin to, yeah, or something else that you may have yeah. in, in another country. Yeah. They divided that land uh, into geographical regions uh, that are referred to as tenures, and they opened those up or opened leases up to those tenures so that people could guide on those properties. And it would increase tourism during the winter. It would bring people in uh, because it's all very mountainous, very remote, very rugged terrain. Yes incredible terrain. Mm -hmm. So they did this and in this guiding industry has just exploded in Canada over the past 20, maybe even 30 years. Mm -hmm. It's been a while, but it's, it's, it's awesome. So if you're a skier, it's incredible in the winter and we'll get to that in a bit, but in the summer now they're actually starting to do more and more bike specific ones. So up in these regions where you'll have this tenure and then way up in the middle of it, they might have a cabin where you stay at for, you know, a week like we did. Yeah. They'll have that. And now in the summer, they're actually building trails 
uh, in the, some of those spots where they can get permits to do so. So then you could go up there, then you could just have a week of riding trail in incredible high alpine or, or incredible zones. Or in the winter, they'll also do things like cat skiing or heli skiing. Well, they do heli biking and cat biking in a way, truck bike, basically shuttle biking. Yeah. And they do that as well. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. But um, in my opinion, we went to the coolest one by far and away. We went to Powder Creek Lodge. It's not, uh, it's not like a, a cat skiing one where you just do laps all day and just like fill up the entire mountain with tracks. It's not a heli skiing one, although you do have to heli in to the cabin because it's way too remote and then you heli back out when you're done. But this one is an entire like touring focused. So for those that don't know, backcountry touring, it's a great cross training for mountain biking, I believe. Mm -hmm. So Nordic skiing is really common. You see a lot of people use Nordic skiing for which is boring because you never really get to go downhill or do anything fun. I completely agree, Steve. <laughs> There's a reason they call it Nordork, right? Yeah. Instead of Nordic. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, but it's so it and it's great. It's it's very effective for mm -hmm. you. And I would argue that it, physically speaking, in many respects, is probably more effective for bringing about the sort of fitness that you need on the bike in in some respects. It's um, like an expensive form of running. Yeah, that's a Nordic basically skiing. Nordic ski. Yeah. yeah. Um, but backcountry skiing is a bit different. So you have skis that are usually a little bit lighter. Mm -hmm. You have bindings that don't hold on to the little wedge in front of your toe. They actually have little pins that stick into the front of your boot and mm -hmm. your boot has little recessed holes where those pins can go. So then, uh, then you have a heel piece and that heel piece can move or pivot. So then you can lock your heel in yeah. just like normal pair of skis or you move it and suddenly your heel is free. It's called SPD snow. <laughs> Google <laughs> yeah, it. There we are. It's not. You it's should not create that, that, Steve. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, talk to Shimano. I'm sure they're really open to new ideas. Yeah. Um, uh, that was a joke, by the way. Snow uh, fishing reels. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but anyways, uh, and then what you do is when you're going uphill on your skis, you put these things called skins on the bottom of your skis and they have one way fabric. Basically it's like hairs, like millions of hairs on the sheet of fabric mm -hmm. that covers the base of your ski. And they're all facing diagonally in one direction. Mm -hmm. So basically it allows you to slide your ski forward, but then it doesn't allow it to slide backward. Yeah. So it's like a, it's like a one way Velcro. Yeah, it's like cat's tongue fabric yeah. if you've had that, you know, in any sort of your shoes or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. So, and then when you get to the top, you take the skins off, you lock your heels into place, and then you ski down an awesome hill. Yeah. I know a lot of you are going, well, you ride a chairlift, you silly. But uh, the point is- <laughs> Not at this place. <laughs> yeah, there are no chairlifts, and you get to go into amazing remote locations, and you get a killer workout going up. It's mm -hmm. really good training. Uh, you can carry a decent pace. You're usually carrying a lot of weight on you, mm -hmm. uh, relatively speaking, compared you've to mountain got all biking. Your avalanche gear, you've uh -huh. got, yeah. Yeah, so it's a good amount of gear, um, but it's great training. And Powder Creek Lodge invited myself and then our head coach here at Trainer Road, Chad Timmerman. They didn't invite me. <laughs> I just no. want to be clear about that. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> Steve's not not bitter at all. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not whatsoever. I enjoyed sitting on the trainer in my spare bedroom <laughs> oh, all week. I'm sorry, Steve. No, 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 we it's had fine. An, we had an incredible... <laughs> <laughs> it's not fine if you can see Steve's <laughs> face. But anyways, we had a week long of incredible, it snowed like darn near like a foot every day, it seemed like. Yeah. And it was never once to be ski over tracks. It was just fresh tracks every day, eight hours a day of touring. Awesome. So, so good. And they had a lodge pup named Riley who would join us for about half the day. That's awesome. Which is pretty amazing. So uh, thanks to podcast listeners, also to this podcast, John and Shelly Peachel, mm -hmm. amazing humans. Uh, shout out to all the other medical professionals we were with because the we went up there as kind of guests to uh, for uh, a continual, continual medical education week for uh, medical professionals where they basically went through and 
um, they, they went through and presented different topics about human performance. So we were their guests and I'm honored. They were fantastic folks. Did Shout you guys to have them. to do a perform or a presentation too? Chad did. Chad did. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Chad did. I didn't. Um, so, uh, it was fantastic experience. Anyways, if you're looking for anything like that, like a backcountry skiing, uh, vacation, I'm already planning another one, a uh, heads up. They're booked out for like years, like literally, I think like 2023, maybe, I don't know. Check them out and ask if you want to go because they may have something earlier, but it's hard to get in, but it is the best experience, the best vacation I've ever had bar none by mm -hmm. like factors of 10. It's nice. just incredible. So, and luckily they like us. Yes, they do. Yeah. <laughs> I see where you're going, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So they, um, an interesting point on this with cross training. And I just want to get this across me skiing a lot. Doesn't make me a faster rider necessarily, No, but it does allow me more room to become a faster rider with more time on the bike later on. Okay. And what I mean by that is that like this sort of cross training, whenever you have cross training efforts, just know that you build strength and efficiency in very specific ways. But if you're doing activities that build aerobic capacity, then you can leverage that later on with more specific training for whatever discipline it is. Aerobic capacity is aerobic capacity. It's it not is. like bike aerobic capacity. It can be tailored for sure. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and you'll find that, you know, your aerobic capacity may, you know, not deliver quite as much as, as it may in mountain biking. If you're a mountain biker, as it does, you know, in something like running or I don't know. It changes, but it doesn't take long for you to leverage all of that that you've created. Of course. So it's a good change up. And in a, in a situation where we have like solid winters where we physically cannot ride our bikes, what's the alternative? Not do anything and lose all the fitness? Yeah. So this at least helps you maintain, yeah, if totally. not build. Yeah, and I think that, so like, you know, there, there's there's a lot of time that you're going to be spending on your bike and your trainer um, and, and outside on the trail, whatever it may be, you're going to be spending a lot of time on the bike all year. Yeah. Um, so in the winter, it's nice to have a psychological break. I think uh, that doesn't mean that you stop training on the bike. I say that you continue that, but just drop the volume down a bit for a while yeah. and focus on something else. Yeah. It's really helpful. Totally. Um, I think that it's a good thing to do. So, uh, with that, shall we get into the news? We shall. News team assemble. First bit of news was a very interesting bike release. <laughs> so a good looking improvement to the bike, which is the YT Jeff C29. Yes. The uh, interesting part is Christopher Walken. <laughs> yeah. So like there's kind of like this sort of thing where it's just like bragging. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like uh, hey, we got this guy. Yeah. Like, like Steve at your mansion, you're going to throw a party. Like it's already big enough. We get it. Yeah. You got a mansion, but then you have a white tiger show up and it's like, yeah, okay. This guy's just showing off now. Like whatever. Like the Christopher Walken thing feels like a white tiger at an already ornate party to me. It's kind of like, all right, it's a cool bike, yeah. but like, and Christopher Walken's cool. I don't know. As a marketing guy, I don't like, I understand why they did it because they, you know, it would make things viral, but only within that small community. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I, I, it just feels like a bit of a buy. It was. Know. And it's weird. The, did you listen to the words that he was saying and the things he was saying? It was okay. really deep and impactful and just kind of like, what are they trying to do here? Yeah. It was strangely, it felt like, um, the tone, like it, it was, it was off key a bit, I yeah. guess. Like the tone didn't really match Yeah, the words are, I get what they were saying. Cause yeah. the whole point of the Jeffsy is that it's supposed to be like your best friend. That's like yes. in their marketing angle the whole time. Mm -hmm. Um, which is a good, honestly, a good description for the bike because yeah. it's very versatile and very comfortable and very yeah. capable. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, it just felt, uh, with the, with the walk and delivery, like you said, it made it pretty deep and just kind of like, you know, like I get it, but this is just a little too much. Mm -hmm. Like, I, so if I sit back and I think about it from that video, I learned nothing about what was new with the bike. Absolutely. 
And that's like that uh, it was going to be your best friend. That's totally. the only thing. That's the only thing. Yeah. But uh, you know, that same thing about the last, that same story was there about the last bike. So really what's different. So I know that they're planning on having people read things, but remember people don't read like as much as we think they do. They really don't read. Yeah. People glaze over highlights totally and look at pictures. Yeah. Or watch the video. Yeah. And in that video, if you can show something where, you know, there's some improvement, then that's great. But anyways, they did improve the bike. We yeah. should talk about that. We should. Christopher Walken aside. Yeah. Um, so Steve, you know, a little bit more than me about it. I read, once again, people don't read. Mm-hmm. I skimmed through. It seems like they made it longer. Yeah. Um, or forgive me, longer travel. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then it seems like they also stiffened up the frame, stiffened it up, reinforced it. It's basically a little bit stiffer frame, 150 travel front and rear. Okay. Um, it's really purpose built around long travel, like all day, all mountain trail bike. Yeah. So it, I like it. It's kind of like the, it really is more of the little brother to the capper now. Right. You know, before everybody that I know that has a Jeff C loves it but they definitely find hard limits on that, on the old 120 travel version, the Jesse 29 and the 27.5. So this new version, I don't know. I I think it's like, you know, and they're going shorter seat post, you know, their shorter seat Seat tube, tube. you know, to get the longer dropper in there and the better standover. And so it it looks like it's all around going to be a better bike. I like it. I like that. It's not too slack of a head tube angle. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, 66 degrees by the way. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, it's a good looking bike. It really is. Um, and and I've ridden the previous YT Jeff scene. I thought it was a fantastic bike. It rides really well. Yeah. Um, I felt like, uh, I don't know if it was flex in the frame or something. I felt like it would get a little bit, um, if you brought it really up to speed and really chunky stuff, it felt like it rode with less travel for some reason than yeah. like, you know. If you overwork the suspension, it seems yeah. to not have it there to help you. Because I would say it felt honestly like my SB100 descending, even though it had more travel. Yeah. Um, but this one, man, big step up. So be interesting. I wonder if they end up uh, pushing an enduro team with this. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, they do I, have their own bottle. That's interesting. The well, bottle is totally unique. Well, it's the when you say the bottle, it's just it's the new Fidlock system. Is the f- they're using exactly. the Fidlock. I love that they integrate that into it. Yeah, um, but then it's their bottle. The bottle's really small because you can't fit much in there. Yeah, so it's pretty tiny, but it's a bottle. Yeah. Um, and and the Fidlock system is pretty cool. It so. Is. Kudos, YT. Um, I know that this isn't really an in-depth thing, but we don't really want to speak about things that we don't know about um, other than the review. But there's a great review that you can read up on Pink Bike by David Arthur. Uh, it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, you check it out. Uh, next one, another new bike that came out, the Intense M29. I think it was last episode. We were asking we – were, we were, in in fun cracking jokes, we're at, discussing at, at, at Gwyn things and oh, in, we're, in intense. Yeah, we were wondering if intense is just you know cease to exist basically, like once they went outside the nine oh nine. Yeah, like, boom, like you know, joking around. Um, so to show everybody that it's not that we're intense haters, uh, but really this is just genuine. That intense M twenty nine, their new downhill bike, is a beautiful looking downhill bike. And it's funny, I I find so many subtle cues that are throwbacks to their old like the old Uzi bikes and, you know, the old Y-frame like M1s and things like that. Like it's very much a throwback to that. Downhill bikes are looking more and more like Y-frame bikes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's just, they're getting so that the top tube and the down tube are parallel Mm -hmm. and they're not separated by much. Yeah. You know, the whole way down. It's kind of cool, but it's a absolutely gorgeous looking bike. It really is. I love how that shock is nice and just nestled down in the down tube there. It's it's a very clean bike. Well done. Intense. Yeah. yeah. I'm super impressed with it. Um, it's just a matter of time until we see Aaron Gwynn probably riding this. I think maybe, that's, I don't know. 
I haven't had Aaron Gwynn tell me that he's riding for them, but it sure seems like he is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he does on it. Uh, it makes sense if they were waiting to get the bike release out for them to announce something or something like that. But yeah, that is a good looking bike. Kudos intense. Uh, the review from Paul Aston that's on pink bike is very good. And he says that the biggest thing that he noticed was he can toss that bike offline into really rough, chunky stuff and it just self corrects. Yeah. It doesn't, it never wants to buck. So that, that tells me that they really worked on chassis a lot. Yeah, chassis stiffness and cha- mm-hmm. chassis characteristics, I think, are a key on this bike. Right. So that shows that, uh, you know, a brand really doing a lot of homework. Mm-hmm. Because if you're, if when you hit like hard hits or something that's a little, you know, you're crooked, that sort of thing, and then your bike reacts poorly, you know, it takes a lot of engineering to, to fix that. Yeah. That's a very complex problem. Absolutely. So uh, kudos to Intense on that one. That thing looks pretty cool. Uh, all right. Um, should we talk about (laughs) e-bike things? We should. (laughs) Yeah. Tour down under is going on right now in the roadie world down in Australia. Um, in Adelaide, super hot place. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's where, and like, it's, you know, just like when the tour of California happens, every doctor and dentist pulls out their bike and they ride a lot, you know, of course around California. So, uh, it seems like a lot of folks are bringing up bikes there. There is a gentleman who was riding a Pinarello. An F8 that was converted to an e-bike. Yes, with like a janky, like third-party. Like like, rear hub. and I don't know if it's strapped on. I don't know what the deal was. Yeah. But he had an e-bike, and the thing caught fire. And then he had CO... And they said there were 10-foot flames coming off the bike. (laughs) The CO2s just shooting off. And then he left CO2s in there, so they couldn't approach the bike. And it started a small (laughs) brush fire, because they were afraid they are going to blow up. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh. It's hilarious, man. I just would have paid to see that. But anyways, the good news is the guy wasn't harmed at all. Yeah. Um, probably just, uh, singe the shorts a bit, but, uh, he, the, the interesting thing here is I think a lot of people are like, Oh, see, e-bikes are going to catch on fire. This is a janky setup. This, this is, is like, like an eBay dot. Totally. Well, eBay dot. AUS. Yeah. AU. 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 Yeah. I think. Help us, Australia. Yeah. You know. Um, so, but this is like a, this is a situation where this is not a legit, well-designed thing. No. Your, your e-bike that you buy from a reputable company is not going to be like this. No, not It's very all. different engineering, Absolutely. very different everything. Absolutely. So you don't really, I don't think you have to worry about it, but man, it sure ignited a lot of the, the e-bike hate for a lot of people. Mm-hmm here's the interesting thing to me. I, I think that people need to get over the hate. It's just getting more people on bikes and it's good. And a jerk that's on a normal bike is going to be a jerk. Yeah. Um, and this guy's 79 years old. Like let's give him a break. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. He wants to keep riding his bike, but he can't, you know, yeah. do what he used to do. So therefore he has, well, he kind of did it the wrong way. He yeah, should have yeah. sold the F8 and bought Pinarello's the, new e-bike yes. road bike. Yeah. Yeah. Or a Synapse Neo, or a Insert, Roubaix, yeah, yeah, you know, e-bike, whatever. Yep. Anyway, but that's what he probably should have done. Yeah, but hey, it was a means to an end. He was trying to, you know, continue riding his bike and being a good bike person. So yeah, I think a lot of the end game, in my opinion. So if I'm a bike manufacturer, I'm looking at e-bikes. Yeah. I see the true power here, no pun intended, is in having a connected bike that's self-powered in the sense that like you always have a power unit on it. Okay. So then as a result, data collection is massive. And I know that sounds creepy because like very big brother, but basically what that means is that you can leverage all of that data to get much more precise data about how people use their bikes, how you can better serve them. Then we get into the whole world of like AR and how you'd be, you know, utilize augmented reality with all of this stuff. And anyways, I think there's a whole lot more than just helping people pedal up a hill with these e-bikes. Okay. And I think it's going to make riding better. Fair. My opinion. So 
Uh, yeah, Pinarello go bang. I like how you wrote that down <laughs> on our doc. Um, okay, Fox, uh, they came out with a new dropper post. Finally. Yeah. Uh, 175. Which is phenomenal. I, I think that that has been the limiting factor in the transfer because like I say to everybody, that is the one seat post that I have never had a failure on or a warranty recall or anything on. It's good. They're good posts. Yep. Not to say that there's not good ones out there. You sure. know, there seems to be, you know, one up seems to have a good post. Um, the PNW stuff seems to be doing really good. Your e, your E13 post been great. has been great. Your KS. My sure. KS Lev CI, like that thing on awesome. my scalpel was awesome. And it's still awesome um, on my dentist that bought, you know, the scalpel from me. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, he didn't buy a Yeti, ironically, which Strange. is weird. Is yeah. he okay? Yeah, well, he okay. came <laughs> off of a Yeti <laughs> and got my scalpel. Got it, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so it's been great for everybody and I haven't had a single issue with it, so that's been awesome. But Can I cover something really quick on dentists? Yes, please. You know how we usually lump like dentists and doctors into things that we always make fun of dentists for being the ones that buy the expensive bikes? Okay. Well, doctors totally make fun of dentists and they totally understand and feel like dentists are the ones that make extravagant purchases and don't work enough. I thought it was really awesome. It's pretty great. <laughs> Wait, doctors think <laughs> yeah. that dentists. So like the doctors that we were with on that ski trip, yeah. all of them are just like, oh yeah, well he's a dentist. Of course he does that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yes. <laughs> awesome. It's not just us. Cool. That's great. Um, so yeah, this post looks awesome. Uh, it comes in black. Very important to me. <clears throat> uh, I don't like the Kashima. Ugh, gross. Brown sugary look. On Tiffany, um, it looks good. Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> I think I'll just leave it there. Yeah. And for those that don't know, Tiffany is Steven's, uh, Steven's bike that, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to stop. This is a kid-friendly show. Yes. Okay. So uh, anyways, this is interesting to see because this shows that Fox, who in, in my opinion is one of the slower to move companies, they're mm -hmm. not as slow as Shimano. Yeah. Shimano is a gigantic juggernaut that takes about 10 years to change direction, right? Yeah. Um, Sorry, Shimano, but that's just how I feel. It's not right or wrong. It's just how I feel. Yeah. Uh, but the Fox is also pretty slow. Uh, as you can see, they're just now coming out with like a longer travel post. But the thing about it is that I feel like when Fox gets there, and you could say this for Shimano too, once they get there, they've done it right. Because exactly. other people have made some mistakes. They've learned from a maybe, or maybe they just took their time. True. That's exciting. That is awesome. That'll be brilliant. Uh, okay. Uh, this one's funny. Uh, so Josh Bryceland is officially with Cannondale, finally. They're calling themselves the Sessions instead of the, what were they, the 50 to 1 crew? 50 to 1 crew, yeah. So they're yeah. now Cannondale Sessions. Yes, the Cannondale Sessions. So they fully branded their crew. It's kind Excellent. of interesting. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, but anyways, th the interesting thing to me about this is the fact that this is a mountain biker that isn't racing anymore, mm -hmm. uh, isn't really doing anything that's like, um, is not winning contests. Not doing any of that. They're but just out creating content and creating riding content. their bikes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's room for that. Uh, and it's kind of interesting to see people doing it. However, I do think it's a bit short-lived in terms of the content they provide because there'll only be so long for slapping berms and, and you know, jumping out of buildings and stuff where that, that stuff eventually becomes kind of old hat. It does. Like, True. It's just because it And first, especially in the world of social media, totally. things get old really fast. Totally. So. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. But- Anyways, it's, I think we'll see a whole lot more athletes do this. I agree. Uh, the time. lifestyle athlete side of things. Mm -hmm. you know, that's Yeah, I could see it. Questions time? Uh, yes, let's do some questions. Question. That's a ridiculous question. False. Well, that's debatable. First one's from Kevin. He says, I just bought a new mountain bike for my wife. She's a novice, and this will be an upgrade from the full suspension 2x9 26er hand-me-down that she used for testing the waters over the summer. We should cover this really quick. 
wife me downs. It's a very dangerous thing. Now he he did say you know that the wife me down was for her to test things out. Yes, but that's a tricky thing. And you could say the same thing if if you know or husband me down, whatever it may be. You know what I mean? But like when you basically say like here spouse that I care about very much have something that I actually want to replace with something that I really care about. Something right that's now. not good enough for you anymore. <laughs> Here you go. I love it's you. It's tricky, man. It that's is. a tricky one. Um, I think it's always wise to have, if you have X01 Eagle, make your partner have XX1 Eagle. You know what I mean? Like, you happy know, just wife, happy life or happy husband, happy, oh, yeah. happy life and life, uh, whatever that life. is. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. But like, that's the point, right? Like, yeah. uh, you know, Anyways, but I totally get it. In this case, Kevin was just, you know, his wife was testing it out. Mm-hmm. So that's what they had. And it's, so it's it's smart in that case. Anyways, just a cultural thing. She says, she was enthusiastic, but I knew she was a mountain biker when we started to ride. And she said she didn't want to just ride. She wanted to session a couple of areas. That's pretty nice. cool. That's, that's a good cool. sign. That is very cool. Mm-hmm. When your friend does that, you're like, yes, they like it. Uh, that's the day I decided to splurge and go the whole nine with a new bike. She will be surprised. So the new rig is a 27.5 inch trail bike with 130 millimeters of travel, a one by drivetrain, mm-hmm. a dropper post, tubeless ready rims already converted. The only glitch, however, is the crank arms. And here lies the question. She's five foot three inches with a 28 inch inseam, uh, five foot three inches. Steve, do you want to get busy converting that into metric things I for me? That. Cool. I'll keep reading with a 28 inch inseam. So that's on the short side of average for a female, uh, in our country, at least in the States, that's definitely on the short side. He says, I'm wondering about the crank arm length. The bike was sold with 175 millimeter crank arms, which I think are too long. And I'm not sure whether she would be better off with 170s or 165s. Do you have the length for us? Yeah. So she's 160 centimeters tall. Got it. Cool. Uh, he says she spins like crazy. My cadence would tend, or he says my cadence tends toward the nineties. And I feel like she is always in the one hundreds. She's not great at picking up on her own biofeedback yet. And I think she is often in the wrong gear for climbing. And by biofeedback, he means like her dialing in saying like, okay, this feels like too much. I'm not stable. You know what I mean? Because I'm pedaling too much. It takes time to figure that out. It does. Uh, and he says, I think she's often in the wrong gear for climbing. And he says too high on the road, too low on the trail, which is totally normal for new riders. Yeah. Like to, you know, gears are complex and figuring out where you need to be. It's, it's hard. One by will clear that up. Kind of, it'll make it a little easier to figure out. Yep. So yeah, yeah it will. Uh, so, and then he says, I never knew it was possible to spin so fast that the rotational velocity could wear you out. I think her inseam calls for 165s, but I wonder whether that will make the hyper spinning even worse. What do you guys think? 167 or one or 165 or 170. So the thing that you have to understand is in, in your cadence, that rotational velocity changes your velocity gets higher as the crank arm gets longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're so, actually moving the fit, the foot speed is higher. The foot speed is higher because you're on a longer lever arm rotating the same rotations yeah. per minute, which is your cadence RPM. So I do agree that a 175 is weird on a small frame bike because assuming at 5'3", mm-hmm. she's on a small frame bike. You know why it happens? Because they just buy in, in big lots of yep. parts and instead of buying mediums, larges, and extra larges in 175 and smalls and extra smalls in 170, they just do it all together. Yeah, and 175 cranks right now are probably some of the cheapest ones in of terms course. of what's held in yeah. because people want shorter cranks now. Mm-hmm. And depending on your price point, like, you know, I know for a fact, you know, brands like Cannondale, mm-hmm. um, brands like Felt, brands like Trek, I know that they do change that. So on smalls, they'll it's always true. put a one that usually from what I've seen, always put a 170 and they put a shorter dropper post and they put, you know, there's, 
all kinds of different things that they do on the smaller frame bikes. Yeah. So the thing, the interesting point is everyone makes, everyone forgets that what we're talking about with the difference between a 165 and a 175 is 10 millimeters a yeah, centimeter. It's five millimeters per side. That's it's it. Not that much. It's a quarter of an inch. It's a quarter of an inch is 5.3 inches or 5.3 millimeters. Yeah. It's so little. It's very difference. small. Like uh, if you were a thick sock versus a thin sock, you may be getting close to the same effect. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, so it's, it's, um, people, I feel like exaggerate this a bit much, but the main thing is like you talked about that leg speed. So the foot speed versus the leg speed, you know, mm -hmm. your actual cadence versus the foot speed. Yeah. Your leg speed is going to be the same. Yeah. And your body is going to be the one governing that. Yes. And talking about a change from 165 to 175, it probably isn't a severe enough change to dramatically affect that or even affect it noticeably, especially for a beginner rider. Yeah. Cause the beginner rider is really just trying to figure out what cadence they should spin at. Mm -hmm. They don't know what's right. Your body is going to limit itself by what it can control. Yeah. The difference in the two is that when your body finds that limit of where it wants to spin in cadence, mm -hmm. the crank arm is going to change the torque necessary to rotate the cranks sure. at a certain resistance level. Sure. That's really the difference. And chances are that won't be perceivable to no, a normal person. Absolutely not. It just won't be. Yeah. So your body is going to compensate. We forget that our, even though we're talking about, you know, rigid products with very specific measurements, your body is very good at adapting to things. It is. And, and so I, I don't feel that the cadence is tied into the crank arm length being a problem. Mm -hmm. I feel that the cadence is something that's normal to figure out. And you actually say, you say the hyper spinning is probably my fault. She started on the road to build fitness when she was a master back then. And just because she was too, too stubborn to shift, he <laughs> says, so we spent a lot of time getting her past that hang up. Now I think that she spins, you know, she spins too quickly. He says, gotcha. which is really common for people. But I think that that that's what's affecting the spinning speed. Yeah. However, that said, in terms of handling, in terms of just length of the crank arms relative to her legs, everything else, and your hip angle, all that stuff, yeah, go shorter. Go for 165s if you can. Yeah, go 170 or 165 will make a bunch of the difference. You're gonna be start. You're gonna start getting really limited on what you can find in a 165. It's true because that's really a DH crank. Mm -hmm. crank arm length. Yeah, it's true. So if you, if you have anything that is a Shimano Dior SLX XT or GX, mm -hmm. you know, X01, whatever from SRAM, then you're really talking 170 is about where you're going to be, you know, that's what you're going to find. So, totally agree. Yeah. yeah. So uh, crank arms in short, much ado about nothing in my opinion. Yeah. Relatively nothing when we're talking about performance. I'm not talking about much ado about nothing scientifically. So yeah. calm down engineers. Yes. Um, but much ado about nothing in terms of effects on performance. However, uh, your pedal strikes, you know, five millimeters. I do love down. 170s for pedal strike on certain bikes with low bottom brackets. I have found throw a set of 170s on and it makes a big difference. I run 170s on all my bikes. <laughs> yeah. TT bike, road bike, cross bike, yeah. by my, my enduro bike, my XC bike, all of them. Yeah. They all have it. And I'm, bike. see, I'm, I'm 175 on most bikes. Mm -hmm. Um, I dabbled in, I think 2015 when I was on my Cannondale Jekyll 27.5, I did put SI, the Cannondale's hologram SI 170s on mm -hmm. at one point. And I was like, oh, I can kind of notice a difference, but I'm also pedal striking a little bit less, but it was not right. like, oh my gosh, life-changing, you know, difference. So totally. Yeah. And I find that people that do attribute a huge change to crank arm length is usually because of misattribution. Absolutely. Something else changed. Agree. You know, they're assigning it. Yeah. So. Uh, anyways, hopefully that helps and, uh, cheers to Kevin's wife for getting the new bike. Yes, absolutely. 
Uh, Chris says, great show. Recommend it to all my fellow riders. More episodes, please. We're working on it right now as we speak. Yeah, as a matter of fact. He <laughs> says, I have a 27.5 plus Hightower 150, 140 millimeter bike, which is awesome for some of our chunkier trails out here in Arizona. But it's laggy on the buffed out smooth XC tracks. Yeah, that's, that should be expected. Of course, yeah. He says, so I wanted to get a faster XC style bike. Originally, looking at a pure XC sled like a light Epic or a Scott Spark, but now the downcountry 120 millimeter bikes have caught my eye. Hello, SP100, he says. And he says, are these new slightly heavier downcountry bikes too close to my current ride to be the worth the extra cost? Or should I stick with a 100 millimeter travel bike? Heck no. It's not too close. No, not at all. It'll uh, feel your, very different. Uh, yeah, and your your high tower, I guarantee you a lot more of your laggy feeling is more to do with the 27.5 plus yeah, tires and totally. the rolling resistance of those versus the shorter travel. Yep. I, I mean, think I think they're both playing into it, but I think the only spot where you get into overlap where you really have to worry about it is when a bike has like one one twenty in the rear. And one thirty up front. And one thirty up front. Yeah. 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 Then like at that say, point it's kinda like, yeah, the bikes are pretty close. Yeah. I would say your twenty seven five high tower to the new Cannondale Habit twenty nine. That would be a pretty close, you know, one thirty mm -hmm. travel. That would be too close, I think. But there's a difference in the bikes beyond just the numbers of the travel, of right? Of course. Yeah. Like um they're really made to race like an XC bike, yes. even though they have 120 up front and 100 in the rear. Yeah. So even though you may just jump up 10 to 20 mils and travel, mm -hmm. there's a whole lot more changing when you go to a different bike like that. Yeah. So you could have a 130, 140 mil bike and uh, even a 120 mil bike you might be able to get away with in some cases. Yeah. And it could serve a different purpose than the downcountry bike. Yeah. So absolutely. For those that hate downcountry, just relax. Yeah. No reason to hate it. It's a thing. Yep. Mike Levy, thank you for that. Okay, uh, next one is from Big Fan. Wind Farm. He's a <laughs> that was such a bad a engineer dad joke. <laughs> <laughs> he says, after listening to episode 66 and your comments about Yetis and coils, what are your thoughts on coils in regards to bikes with linear leverage ratios versus progressive leverage ratios? Much good. I'm really, I'm really <laughs> surprised about your comments about the SB 5.5 and a coil. Uh, so he says, I've read a bunch of reviews and people seem to think that coils on progressive leverage ratios seem to work better or go hand in hand, i.e. linear spring and progressive leverage ratios. And he's right with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He says, what about coils with linear, linear, rev linear leverage ratios? Say that one three times fast. He says linear sp spring plus linear leverage ratio might tend to bottom out more frequently, which usually leads to an increase in spring rate or increase in high speed compression damping. He says, seems like many articles and reviews seem to not recommend this setup. So uh, he says, I have a 2017 Yeti SB6 and I have both a 2018 DHX2 with a 500 pound spring and a 2019 Fox X2, still testing it with 17190 PSI. He says, I have all of the settings in the middle of the pack for what Fox recommends for each spring rate and PSI. He says, I've been on the DHX2 for six to seven months and love the small bump compliance, riding mostly rocky, fast, east coast, chunky gnar with some smoother groomed out bike park stuff. Thanks for all the great content. So he actually highlights why we recommend it in this case with a bike like the Yeti SB55, why a coil shock would be good. Because really what the coil... so. Every bike is designed for people within a bell curve, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so you graph people and there's a bell curve and the brand as a result picks to tune the shock and tune everything for the largest portion of people that yeah. they can within that bell curve. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean spreading it out end to end on the bell curve. That means picking the most populated portion of the bell curve, right? Yes. 
When you fall outside of that on a bike, then you have to get kind of funky with your suspension setup. You're mm -hmm. going to be playing with tokens. You might be getting something like a MRP ramp control or a Luftkoppa or something like that. You know, that's when you start to have to tweak around because you're either too light or too, too heavy or your riding style just doesn't mesh with it. Yeah. So what a light people, what light people find or very heavy people have found, at least in my experience with something like the SB 5.5 was that it could be initially harsh. Mm -hmm. If they tuned it for the support and bottom out compliance they needed, it would be too harsh on all the small stuff initially. I, I hated my 5.5. Until because you, of small bum compliance issues, because you're uh, not only so you're around what two hundred two hundred yeah, but then you also ride your bike with a lot of energy and strength. Yeah. So in some respects, you ride it like you might weigh more because you put more energy into that bike. Mm -hmm. So because of that, when you tuned it for that more aggressive riding style and for your weight, it just became too harsh. Yes, and that's why you went with the coil shock because that it actually allowed you to run a specific spring, which gave you all the initial plushness you wanted. Yes, and then with the elastomer at the end and the fact that. Even though coils are more linear, they aren't perfectly linear. No. They're still progressive. Yes. Um, it still gets harder to push a spring together the further and further you compress it. Exactly. Because you're building up more and more potential energy. Yep. Therefore, it is progressive in a sense. Yeah. So with all that, and then with you know you being able to adjust high and low speed compression and that sort of stuff, yeah. you dialed it in perfectly. So you got the initial plushness you wanted, but then you got the support. Yeah. And that's kind of a cool thing about coil shocks where with air shocks, it can be kind of hard. Mm-hmm. Because if you make one change on one end, it really affects everything at the other end. Yeah. Whereas the coil shock, many times you can kind of keep, you know, A and B separate. Exactly. That yeah. is, that is the, the tunability. They completely stay separate. That's yeah, the best cool. part of a coil, in my opinion. Along these lines, uh, MRP just released progressive springs. Yes. Which is pretty, pretty awesome. So those actually have material that, that I don't know if it varies in density or how it works, but basically, and this is common in the automotive world. Uh, yeah. They've had these for decades. Progressive rate springs are pretty standard. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and basically what that does is that gives you more initial plushness, but then more support through the mid stroke and or more bottom out resistance. So what they essentially do is the, the coil, you'll look at it and one section of it will be softer spring rate and then they'll start winding the coils tighter or they'll make the, if it's a hollow material, they'll make it thicker to make it stiffer or, you know, there's different yep. ways of tuning springs. It's um, kind of like when I used to take pens apart in school when I was bored and not paying attention in class. Yeah. And I would take the spring out and I would stretch the spring. Yeah. So it had a longer. I was basically okay. a suspension engineer. You were. Yeah. yeah exactly. That's exactly. That's <laughs> auto, automotive industry. Watch out. Jonathan's there we go. here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next one's from Andrew from Whistler. He says, uh, and he mentions that he is a heart attack rehab patient right now. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, glad to know you made it through that, Andrew, and yeah. good luck on your recovery. He says, I'm a 48-year-old avid rider, and I would say I'm in pretty good shape. I do all the local races in the Sea to Sky area, that being all through the you know the Whistler region, but everything from Vancouver up through that spot. Yeah. Uh, he mentions Test of Metal, uh, Spockwus, NIMBY 50, et cetera. He says, I ride two to three times per week all year long. This July in 2018, my wife and I were in the final stages of training for the High Cascades 100, and I had a heart attack while on a business trip. Lousy genes were the cause and three stents plus loads of meds later. I'm recovering well and my rehab couldn't have gone better. Whew. Good. Yeah. He says a big part of the rehab process was long 
old man, he says in quotes, walks. My, <laughs> my wife suggested I listen to podcasts while walking, and I found yours by far the best. Uh, five stars for sure. Well, thanks, man. Really well, appreciate it. glad we it. can be there for your rehabbing. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. yeah. He says, I've listened to all the back episodes now and eagerly await, eager, eagerly await each new one. I'm back riding now, and my cardiologist says I should make a full recovery. Thanks for all you do and for playing a role in the recovery. Awesome. awesome. Andrew, thank you very much. Heck yeah. 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 Uh, cheers to health. He says, my question and request is regarding kids riding. We have three kids aged 9, 12, and 15, and would love it if you could do an episode on riding with kids. So we will end up doing this one yeah. at some point because we'll be spending more time with kids this spring yeah. uh, and summer once the junior rides start up. Simon will be going to those now. It'll yes. be a lot of fun. Good. Okay. So uh, he says, uh, my guess is that your listeners also have children. We get a lot out of it. Yes, Absolutely. a lot of them do. Yeah. He says, it sounds like Jonathan's little guy will soon graduate from the run bike. So this could be timely for you too. Yeah. 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 He still is very terrified of pedals. Hasn't figured pedals are very scary. He says, it's so a, yeah. it's understandable. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure him out. He says my kids are all great riders and family rides are the best thing we do together. Watching them progress from run bikes to now crushing us both on downhills has been such a thrill for my wife and I. In no particular order, here are some tips we've learned over the years. No need to read them on the air if you are pressed for time. Oh, I feel okay. like well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like these are genuinely helpful. No, absolutely. It says number one, buy them the best bikes you can afford. Mm-hmm. If you have multiple kids, this is a no brainer. We. Bought bikes uh, for, and he says about five hundred dollars Canadian, which is nine dollars US. <laughs> yeah, I like that joke. That's, <laughs> That's good. He says he put, said that, not yeah, me. Don't true. get mad at yeah. us. He says put all three kids through them and sold them for about two hundred fifty dollars, and we're done. Even with one kid, uh, he says the used market for bikes is super active, and you'll have no trouble selling a well cared bike for one or for a half to a third or to two thirds of what you paid. Yeah, a good bike will be way more fun for them to ride and have a lot less maintenance issues as it starts to wear. Yep. I completely agree. And once again, the key thing, buy them the best bikes you can afford. It's not like, you know, you have to get them something that's like crazy. You You're not afford it. spending $2,000 on a Coleman Saw kids full suspension downhill yeah. bike. Like, yeah. let's be honest. Yeah. yeah You're exactly. buying kids hardtail. Yeah. That's what dentists do. Yeah. Just joking. We love you, dentists. Yeah. Uh, he says, number two, pay attention to weight. Lots of kids bikes are super heavy. So get the store to weigh a couple of models for you. It's yeah. amazing how many adults sweat about grams on their own bikes without their kids riding cheap, big, big box store, cast iron rigs. Yeah. That's totally true. Um, Isla Bikes, I-S-L-A, they make bikes that are relatively light for kids. Mm -hmm. They also have uh, smaller diameter grips. They have smaller levers that, you know, get within the reach of the kid's hands, really short cranks, really cool things. Like it's all thoughtful and it's light for a kid. They quit importing to the U.S. this year. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I heard that was happening, I went onto their website and they were closing out U.S. models. So I bought actually a bike ahead of Simon's. He won't fit for another two years maybe. Yeah. But we've got one and it's it's good. Got it. So yeah, it's super important. Wait. And, and for the the dental surgeons, <laughs> yes. like for the high-end dentists, Carbon. um Strider does have the carbon. This is true. Strider bike. You can now. do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, it's, it's pretty hard for kids to lift up heavy bikes, man. It really is. When you look at the weight ratio of your kid to your bike, the bike in some cases weighs as much as your kid. Yeah. Imagine if you were riding a 200 pound bicycle, like yeah. it'd be really hard. That's called be. a dirt bike, Yeah, but no motor. That's <laughs> like, true. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty rough. So he says, uh, number three, involve them in maintenance. They will learn a lot and should ultimately take care or take over caring for their own ride. This is so true. And my son loves it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't work. He doesn't actually do any productive work on his own bike, but when I'm working, he brings over his little Fisher price wrenches and his, he likes to hammer on things a little too much for bikes. We have to work on that. Yeah. Brings over his plastic hammer and just hits things. Yeah. Um, but he brings up the screwdriver. 
he loves to put the screwdriver into my bottom bracket, you know, like the hollow spindle. Yeah. And, and yeah, he loves that. Anyways, it's really fun. Mm -hmm. And it teaches them that like, he knows that when I come back from a ride, I wash my bike and I work on my bike. Mm -hmm. And he knows that. So when he finishes, he takes his helmet off, then he lays his bike on its side and he starts working on it. It's absolutely adorable. That's great. So, um, then, uh, number four, build a bike with them. If you have the skills and tools, building a bike with them is an amazing process or an amazing experience and will give them a great sense of ownership and pride. It's also a perfect way to upgrade your own bike by giving them your old components. Ooh, that's a little, true. you know, kid me dad down, me down. Yeah. Here, kid me down. Yeah. Dad me downs aren't as bad. Yeah. I feel like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not as bad. Uh, he says plan shorter distance rides and work on sessioning, challenging sections. They will get more out of this type of ride than simply logging miles. That's totally true. Mm-hmm. Us adults are really used to like the, the experience of the whole loop. They don't care. Yeah. They want to ride something fun. Exactly. You know, and keep it fun for kids. Exactly. Uh, he says you also reduce the risk of having a meltdown at the furthest point on a long loop if you get if they get tired or crash. That's true. Very true. Number six, if you have a GoPro, let them use it. They will love the responsibility and enjoy watching videos afterwards for sure. Uh, number seven, who doesn't want to be a parent after listening to this? That's kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I still don't necessarily, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know. Don't worry. I'll hit you all with real life parenthood after this. There you uh, go. Yeah. Number seven, set goals for the season. This could be a specific feature or a whole trail. That's a good idea. That's true. Yeah. Something to work for. Uh, it says number one, or then he says number eight, ride the park. I ride Whistler, Squamish, Pemberton, and North Shore trails all year long. Well, this- aren't you fancy? Sir. Yeah. Good to be you. Yeah. yeah. He says, uh, he says, but still find a couple of park sessions a year and really help both the kids and myself. So he says, number nine, put them in camps. Most local clubs uh, run some type of kids program and the level of instruction is usually top notch. Our kids have even had Jesse Melamed as a coach at Warka camps, which are very affordable. Needless to say, he knows a thing or two about riding. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Warka, for those that don't know, is the Whistler something area. Some it's Whistler off road cyclists association. Mm. Dang it. I'm good. Way to go. Yeah. I think that's it, man. Nice job. Well, so, we were just there, so yeah, yeah. Then I remember Sorka. it from a sign. Sorka was Squamish. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, then uh, he says, I'd be happy to contribute if you do decide to dedicate an episode to kids writing. That is upcoming. We'll definitely talk about that. Yes. Uh, but we've given quite a lot of stuff here. Um, cool. So, uh, and then he says, P.S. Despite having to abandon her training to care for her geriatric husband, my lovely wife finished the High, high Cascades 100. Nice. Kudos to your wife. That's awesome. Excellent. Uh, Dave says, hi guys, love the podcast. My question is about oval chain rings. I'm running a 32 hole with a 42, uh, 11 speed setup. Most of my riding is okay with this combination, but there are a couple of steep sections where a tiny bit lower might help. Forgive me. He says, I've been, I've seen a few comments on ovals and some of them are suggesting that it feels like the equivalent of going to a smaller or slightly smaller chain ring. While skeptical, I'm wondering if this may be an option or should I swap out to a 30 tooth uh, chain ring or look at 46 tooth cassette when my drivetrain needs replacing. Looking forward to hearing your response. So oval rings, my, uh, we can cover that and then we can cover maybe the cassette side of things. Yes. But oval rings, first of all, yes, they feel like a smaller, they feel like a smaller chain ring until you're bogged down. Then they mm-hmm. feel like a harder chain ring I've yes. found. So it's, it's easy to stay on top of the gear until you're not. And then at that point, it feels really hard to get on top of the gear again. So I don't know, like if you're riding terrain that has like a lot of really steep climbs, I mean, I I'm back on round rings. Yeah. It's so here's, and it's not like it's because oval was bad. No, it's just cause I didn't notice as big of a, as, as huge of a benefit to justify it. And I also found that punishment factor where like, if I got really bogged down on a steep climb, it felt harder. Yeah. So, and honestly, if he's saying that every once in a while, there are these very specific climbs where it feels like he could use a lighter gear, 
I don't want to sound rude. Just toughen up and get through those because <laughs> you're trying to basically base your drivetrain gearing what your low end speed and high end speed are and the associated cadences with those. You're building your entire setup around 5% of the time you're riding your bike or less. That's a good point. And that's kind of like, you know, whenever I see people buy those huge fifth wheel trailers and they pay Easy guy, <laughs> yeah, sorry, it's true. You were considering this, yeah. um, but, and they spend an entire, you know, they spend years paying a mortgage for something they use like two to three weekends a year. Fair. Most people, yeah. certain, you know, I know other people use them much more regularly, yes. but you know, it's kind of like that. I get what you mean. Yeah. Um, it's trainable. Remember that you it's get faster trainable. and you can go through it. Um, but that said, I do feel that most people have like a 32 is honestly too much for the yeah, I think average a 30 driver is a 30 or 28 is yeah. going to be a whole lot better for most. I wouldn't that's now when we're getting into the twenties, I think a 28 severely limits your top end. Here's the deal though. How often are you actually in your 10 true and like going like I'm spun out? Like it's like a, me even, all the time, Yeah, but yeah. I'm also an idiot. Think about the amount sense. of time that you spend in that zone. Versus the time that you spend in the climbing zone. That's fair. And then which one makes or breaks your race if you're a racer? Of course. So yeah. I'd argue that it's much better to go on the smaller chainring side. Okay. Yeah. Than the than the bigger. Yeah. Top end really doesn't matter that much. Yeah. So honestly, hit your brakes less. You know, right now I would put him safe. on a thirty tooth chainring. Yeah. And leave the forty two. Same. Or if you wanted to go to the 46, just understand that your first four gears are going to have bigger steps between them. Yep, which is frustrating in its own right. Because sometimes you just can't find the right gear. I say stick with the 42, go to a 32th, try that. Yeah. If it's uh, still too much and you're training a lot, then go to the 28. Mm -hmm. There you go. Nathan says, great podcast, just found it recently, but eating through the episodes at what some would call an unhealthy pace. No, no such thing, know, sir. Addictions are not bad Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, when it comes true. to podcasts. It's a true story. He says, anyways, you guys seem to have a great feel for tires and their handling characteristics. I'm looking to swap out my XC race bikes, Aspens, for a more aggressive set of tires for fall leaves and winter grime. In the past, I've used Nobby Nick and Racing Ralph, that combo, for this, and have been very happy with it, but I keep seeing these bikes with skin wall tires, and they are calling to my vanity. Do you have any experience with the Onza Ibex or Canis for this? I don't personally. I've heard they're, I've heard they're great. Um, a friend of mine runs Vittoria's, and they're kind of gray walls, too, likes those, if that's more your flavor. Yeah. Um, he says, should I give up my vanity and stick with what I know or go uh, out on a limb with some fresh skin walls? For reference, I'm a 155-pound XC nerd on a Santa Cruz blur. And he says, I just ordered a Shockwiz from Worldwide Cyclery after hearing your suspension setup podcast. Thanks. Nice. You know, go outside. Try new things. Sure. Try new tires. Look at a tread design. Read what people are saying and go from there. I, I don't specifically have Onza experience. Yeah. Um, I've never ridden their tires. But go for it. Just try it, man. What's the worst that could happen? You hate the tires? You're yeah. not going to hate them. I'd say, I'd say go with, I don't know. So the, in skin walls, you get the DHF. That's a sweet winter gram tire right there. That's yeah. Grips. Not on that. Well, I mean, a Santa Cruz blur, I guess you could do like a two, yeah. three DHF. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. You could do that. And then a skin, a uh, skin wall high roller too. I don't know if they make the high roller in skin wall, do they? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe go, I know they do make, Ardent rear. I, yeah. So I know they make, so the Ardent as a front tire is terrifying. We've yeah. covered this before, at least yeah. in my opinion. Yes. It's not confidence inspiring, but you could run an Ardent in the rear and then that engages drift zone. But basically like it's, it's got this weird drift zone in the tire. It makes it kind of fun. Yeah. For rear, it's great. Yeah. Not necessarily fast, but yeah. very fun. Yeah. Um, and then you could put a DHF up front and that would be a really fun bike. That'd be setup. a sweet combo. That'd be really good for mud. Yep. Um, 
and then you and then other than that, I know they have the icon in a skin wall, and I think that they have plans on coming out with some other ones. But the icon, I just don't. Uh, I'm not a big fan of that yeah. one. Uh, but I want to my thoughts on skin walls really quick. I feel like a lot of people think that like if you put skin walls on a bike, it's automatically like dope, like it's super cool. You know what makes you say that? Like, <laughs> have you? <laughs> Is seen there a this? certain Instagram post that might have? I don't know. Oh, no, no. Now I know what you're talking okay. about. Oh, yeah, yeah. SB100 Actually, things. yeah, yeah. So this is going to make, this is going to seem like I'm triggered by a post that <laughs> Yeti did a feature on my bike and some guy said something. You know, I wasn't even thinking of that, yeah, but okay. uh, I actually noticed it on the road side of things. Like people have like an old bike and it's like kind of like beat up and then they throw on skin walls and they're just like, it's the dopest thing in the world. Like, sorry, sir, your and, 1984 Cervelo is not. Yeah. And like nothing against owning an older bike or whatever else. That's to, And that's not the thing. It's just the fact that like, Sometimes you think a trend is great, so you do it. Like, um, and and you put it on there, and you think that it solves every other problem. And it's like, you know, like uh, you, you may get really old and be really wrinkly, like Walter Matthau or something. So you think I'm just going to Botox my forehead, but that doesn't change the fact that you're an old person. Can can <laughs> that I make sense? It does, does make sense. Off the rails? I think I think you kind of <laughs> went off the rails, and I'm going to reel it back with one okay. statement. Yeah, putting tan walls on your bike is like putting anything from Paul Components on your bike. <laughs> It makes you Ooh. think you're better than everybody, but you're really not. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. You went straight at it. Yeah, I did. I agree. But it, it made the point. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. If it makes you feel good though. Yeah. And if you like right. tan walls, great. Like if your bike works with it, great. Like if you're upset at us for calling it tan skin or gum walls and you want one of the three or something we didn't mention, I apologize. Yeah. A persnickety bunch uses the skin walls. Yeah. That's for sure. They do. Yeah. I think every brand calls it something different too. So. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Anywho, but um, in 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 all fairness, I like Maxis's skin wall color better than I like the orangey skin wall of WTB yeah. tires. Yeah, that's a weird one. Yeah, it is kind of weird. Not into that one. Yeah, I don't know. Like um, in the 650B road stuff now, it's weird. They've got a lot of those, and it's just it's kind of I don't know. It's, it's hard to match with anything. It's like it's almost like like Trump, like the skin color, like the. <laughs> <laughs> the fake. Yeah, it's tanning. true. You know, that's it really kinda, is. Yeah. They should call it Trump wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Heather McFadden. I know you're listening from WTB. Uh, name change now. And I want credit for this. Trump wall. That's so Trump wall. good. Yeah, oh. Trump wall tires. Punny through the roof. Okay. Uh, let's go into Art's question. He says, hey, gents, uh, does the Wolftooth dropper remote make the RockShox reverb a dependable post? I love the 170 millimeter drop, but I'm frustrated with the constant bleeding and temperature related issues. Thanks for the advice. It's going to fix the lever bleed issues yeah. that a lot of people have with the reverbs. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But you're still going to have the issues where you get the top out softness, yeah. the accelerated wear of the bushings that the reverbs are known for. Um, so you're going to fix some of the, the dependability issues, mm -hmm. but you're not going to fix all of them. Agreed. So you're still going to have to have the same ser service intervals of your reverb with the internal stuff, but you are eliminating that entire, you know, the You'll one bleed less. Yeah. You won't have to do as many bleeds. Yeah. That's, sure. and that is a big part of, of yeah. the reverb. You know, I constantly fought that with, you know, temperature changes, like going into like extremely cold weather, just air bubbles would just magically appear out of nowhere inside of the, yeah. the hydraulic system. So, so yes, um, it will fix all of it, but you also have other options out there. If your reverb is, you know, old and needs to be replaced, put a new Fox transfer on it. They yeah, have five extra millimeters. I feel like RockShox has a diversification option where they could actually go into, um, 
oxygenation of fish tanks because they've somehow managed to be able to just create bubbles from thin air. So they should just put a <laughs> reverb. Guard in, or guide lever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, yeah. They should put a set of guides, so like one guide break and a reverb inside a fish po- in a fish tank, and <laughs> fish will be happy forever. Um, all right, let's go into... But wouldn't Shimano, like, sue them for doing oh, anything related reels. to fishing? Oh, gosh, yeah. that's true. So... Good point. Anyway, let's move on, shall we? Before we start lawsuits. <laughs> Off the rails, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Mark says, hey, guys, I'm in sales in my car all day, and I love listening to your podcast. Awesome. Good to hear, Mark. Uh, keep grinding out there. He says, have you guys ever thought about doing an episode about clip-in pedals versus flat pedals? No, because we're not going to sway any votes. <laughs> People are just going to just scream and yell and it's true. hate on one that they don't like. And It's darn near like a, a left versus right-wing politics. It kind of is. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, he says, I've been mountain biking for the last 25 years and racing for the last 10. I've recently bought some flats to see what it would be like because I've clipped in for as long as I can remember and I couldn't believe how different it was I found myself making it through some technical sections I would never get through I assume he's talking about climbs maybe he's talking about ascents I'd Uh, imagine taking more risk going downhill and taking turns a little faster than if I was clipped in. I can't imagine riding flat pedals when racing, but I'm starting to go back and forth between flats and clipping in when out on my local trails, uh, depending on what trails I'm riding. I'm tempted to try a cyclocross race on flats just for fun to see what, what happened. He says, just thought this might be a neat topic to talk about. So the, the, the laughing was Steve's reaction. He almost choked on the microphone there. Cyclocross <laughs> yeah. on flats. That's he says, weird. He says, uh, thanks for the awesome podcast and making my days at work behind the windshield go by faster. You're so, welcome. So yeah, uh, clips versus flats. I think we both have a lot to say on this. We both ride clipped in. We do. I also can ride flats. <clears throat> Contrary well. to flat people's belief that anybody that rides Clipton simply rides that way because they aren't capable of riding with flats. I think f- like the people who are very like that with flat pedals, they're like flat earthers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's the same. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, yeah, of course it'll be different. Um, it'll enable you in some respects, but I'd say that if you're clipped in, remember the fact that you should unclip like a lot. I see a lot of people just never do it. Yeah, like when you, you go through a turn, unclip. You and I unclip and clip back in all the time when all we're riding. All the time, all the time. Yeah, it's I go common. through cleats like crazy because I'm constantly in and out. Yeah, when I go through turns and if I'm carrying more speed than I feel like is necessary, so many times I'll unclip. Yeah, with one foot and I'll have that inside foot out, and it helps me redistribute my weight, gives me a little bit more control. Yeah, yeah it's common. It's very common. Just because you're clipped in doesn't mean that you have to stay clipped. Yeah, it doesn't mean you're locked in like, all the time. Check out Spencer Rathcamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Instagram, the guy that he has absurd skill on a bike, mm-hmm. absurd. And he was doing knack knacks the other day, clipped in. So doing a big jump, unclip, throw a gigantic knack knack, then land clipped in again. So like a, believe it or not, it's possible people. It um, and then the other thing is people say that people that ride clipped in can't jump right mm. because of flats. And that's totally untrue. Mm. Totally untrue. Totally. You can, you, it's, it's all about the technique that you have. It's not about the pedal that you're using. Yeah. Right? Like, I yeah. mean, I know that sounds logical. It sounds weird that I'm even saying it, but for people that don't believe it, it's it's technique. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's good to spend some time on flats every once in a while because mm-hmm. then you reinforce that technique if you aren't good at reinforcing it otherwise. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So my new habit finally shipped. It's mm. going to be here this week, Ooh. this coming week. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually putting a set of HT AEO5 plus Evo flats on it. Oh. Just to try. Yeah. 
I mean, I've got my I've got a spare set of 9020 trail, you know, XTR pedals that I will have for it as well. Is it but because, I'm just going to go back and forth. Is it because Bryceland? Is that why? You're you're influenced, aren't you? Yeah. He's an influencer. He is. Yeah. Yeah, I think no, it's I'm not doing that because of Bryceland. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Joke. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, I I think that it's good to spend some time on him for sure every once in a while, but um, I do personally feel that Clipton is better for the vast majority of riding that people do. Mm-hmm. Cam Zinc probably doesn't, you know, want to earth. Uh, Brandon Seminuk, for example, probably best not to be clipped in when he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. Um, but for the majority of other folks, yeah, I think it's better. And I know some guys yelling Sam Hill at, at his phone or, or car head unit, whatever else right now. Yeah. Sam Hill, Sam Hill. Yeah. He's yeah. not you. And I'd argue that Sam Hill might even be better on clips. Ooh, that's aggressive. It is aggressive. I, mean, I don't know. I'm just. I don't know that's an Aggressive statement. Yeah, it is. But maybe he would be. Yeah. I don't know. Honestly, well, it comes down to comfort level. His pedaling efficiency would be better. That I much mean, I if, can say. If you're not comfortable yeah. enough in your technical abilities, then yeah, you should be on flats. Totally. You know, it's like there. There's kindergarten for a reason. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Steve, everyone, direct your hate to dogs, bikes, and cars on Instagram, not MTV podcast. Uh, direct that was your a love. Total joke. Direct your love to Lee Jonathan underscore. That um, was a total joke. I'm just messing <laughs> with people. True. Let's go into Adam's question. He says, "Hey guys, I just saw the 2019 Cannondale Habit and Bad Habit on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, difference between Habit and Bad Habit, Steve. Really uh, the Bad Habit is the 27.5 plus version. Okay, with a 140 millimeter fork. And the Habit is 29. Is 29 inch, normal with, with wheels. Yes, and it's got 130, 130. Yes, it's a 130 front and back. And there's a there's a, a flip chip that you have to you know change directions Makes on, sense. but that's it." Cool. It says, previously I had been pretty settled on the idea of buying the Diamondback Catch, the 27.5 plus version of the release. He says, due to the playful nature of that play- of that platform, however, with the copious amounts of internet window shopping I have been doing this year, I now have bikes on my ooh and, and what about that one list, he says, or oh, what about that one, forgive me, list that I have previously not considered. And it would be great to get some feedback on them from the premier MTB authority that is the MTB podcast. Mm-hmm. You said it, Adam. He said uh, premiere. Oh, he didn't put an E at the end. A yeah, premiere. Sorry, sorry, not premiere. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We can make it sound fa- fancy. Okay. Um, so he says uh, the Santa Cruz 5010 is one bike that he likes. Mm-hmm. The Cannondale Bad Habit and the Specialized Stumpy ST. Okay. Those are the ones he's, that's the short travel. Those yeah. are the ones he's considering. Okay. He says, I live in the East Bay and would like to try out Downeyville next year. It sounds like I am going, or I am roughly the same size as Steven, about 5'10", 200 pounds. That's about 177 centimeters, 90 kilograms, just almost 91 kilograms for any roadies that may be listening. Uh, so yeah, let's, if I was to pick between those three bikes mm-hmm. and I was looking to try out Downeyville, however, I'm probably riding stuff that's in the East Bay. So like a more swoopy, like uh, stuff that they have around in the Oakland Hills, that region, something like that. Okay. I don't know if I would, I might go with just the habit instead of the bad habit. I would go with the normal habit. Same. That's where I would go. Um, out of that entire bunch, obviously I am an ambassador. ambassador. uh, Yes. So I, I am biased here, Mm -hmm. but I would just get the normal Cannondale habit, Mm -hmm. not the bad habit. Yeah. Now. Mostly because all of the writing that you're going to be doing, you don't necessarily need the 140 fork mm-hmm. and the plus tires can slow you down. Yeah. I've heard people like the Stumpy ST a lot. Yes. And I've actually heard one person say that he likes the Stumpy ST better than the Stumpy. 
he says that he feels like that whole chassis is better with a little bit less travel. Like the bike is a better package. Now that's the, the, the stumpy ST that still has that gnarly slack head tube angle. No, no, no it doesn't. It's the replacement for the camber. Basically. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, and I've heard somebody say that he likes that better. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I could see is, I mean, even though you're dealing with, I guess the same travel as the habit, you're on the lighter side for Downeyville, but you're absolutely in the sweet spot for the type of riding that you'll do normally. And I don't know, man. I and mean, as Downeyville's gotten tamer and tamer over the last 10 years, I mean, there's traffic, a reason yeah. Jason Mosler won the all mountain championship three years ago on the old Cannondale habit. Yep. You know, now the habit's just gotten better and it's gotten way more playful and it's got that slacker head tube angle. There's so much about the new habit that in my short time riding it, I really think that that is kind of a be all end all bike. If you have to have one bike, if you have to have a quiver bike, that's the closest I've seen so far. I'd agree. Yeah. I agree with that. Have they, has Santa Cruz updated the 5010? I don't recently? think yet. No, I, I don't think that's, I, they just came out with the Bronson. Yeah. So then I would say the 5010 I think is next. Yeah. So I might not go for the 5010 because that I may be wrong. I may have missed it, but, um, I would be looking at either the habit personally or the stump EST. That's my personal opinion. And honestly, the, the, the Cannondale habit, whichever model you get is going to have 29 internal wheels. They have a two, five wide trail up front. You can fit a two, six and the rear is going to come with a two, three, but mine I'm putting, um, a DHR two, two, four wide trail on the back of. So that'll give you, you know, it's not quite plus, but it's a lot better. Um, and I think that that bike is just all around going to be your best bet. Yep. That I thing agree. is going to be rad. And if you get the the carbon two or the carbon one, you're going to have, you know, a 34 fork with, um, you're, they're going to be fit for, so you mm-hmm. can put a different air shaft in it and move it up to 140 if you want it. Sure. And yeah. you're going to have a DPX two rear shock. So you're going to have the external reservoir. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I would be torn between the habit and the stump ESD. And that's fair. That's swap I, box. I would, yeah. I would be saying, yeah, swap box. It's, are you a pothead, sir? <laughs> because that might be the difference on whether you get a habit or the SWAT box. That's a good point. Yeah. So, or if you just like sandwiches, sandwiches. Yeah, you can yeah. store sandwiches in there. Yeah. Lots of snacks, like little sandwiches. Yeah, yeah, small guys. Yeah, finger sandwiches. Uh, Will says, "I had a question about power meters on fat bikes." Okay. St- this is strangely more common than people may think. Okay. Just want to put that out there. Okay. So he said, specifically dual-sided power meters. I want to do the same trainer road workouts for road riding on my fat bike. A search of the web reveals sparse results for this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've endured the same. He says, Quark has some prototypes, but none for sale. However, I emailed power to max. Uh, and he says, they said their NG echo SRAM boost spider would work with the SRAM NX Eagle fat bike crank set. Man, that's a mouthful there. If I remove the three bolt spider and replace it with their spider. So number one, does this sound correct? Yes, it does sound correct. Uh, that you could remove the spider, swap it out. Because power to max is old, which is the NG the echo is the old style where they, before they went to the eight bolt. I believe so. Okay. Yes, I believe so. Okay. And he says, I haven't heard of anyone or read anything on the internet talking about people putting power to max on their fat bikes. Did I stumble upon something new? So that may very well be something you could do. I haven't done it myself. The one we did have a power meter on a fat bike here at trainer road. And by my reckoning, it was a stages power meter. Yeah, but it was an older XT one and we had like a XT fat bike crank set or something like that or. Okay. And that's another option to go with. Yep. You could do that. Um, you could also take your crank arms that you currently have and you could ask if four eyes, that company, they like, they can actually put power meters on to cranks. You can send it to them. Yeah. They can install it. So that's another one. And yeah, the NG echo is 
a three bolt setup. There you go. So you're going to have a little bit of flex issues. Yeah. Um, so you're going to have not quite as accurate of power in that sense because you're going to get some deflection of that spider assembly. Yeah. Um, because if you look at the cork system now and the new Power 2 Max stuff, I don't remember which model it is, they have eight yeah. little baby T20 bolts that run all the way around to clamp it harder to the crank arm so you get a more direct more measurement. consistent flex. Yes. With better power data. Exactly. Uh, two more questions, Steve. Sure. From Mark, he says, I love the podcast. Thanks for doing it. I have a question about types of dirt. When I'm looking at tires, all the manufacturers give a chart on what tires to use for what conditions. No one really describes those conditions in an in-depth way. Hard pack is easy to understand, mm -hmm. but what is loose or medium or how much loose do you have to have to have loose over hard? What is mud over wet? <laughs> These are great questions. He says, those are coming from the Maxis descriptions. I have tires I like, but reading reviews or trail rides, I want to be on the same page as other people. Thanks. So this is our chance, Steve, to define basically the the, the canon right here. We are presenting the canon of dirt, uh, of, of dirt classification for people. Let's start out. Hard pack. Hard pack. It's just a hard surface. Yeah. Yep. There's no loose gravel, no loose rocks, no loose silt, nothing. It is a hard packed trail. I think of SoCal. Easy. SoCal. Yeah. SoCal has a lot of this, like in the, like a, um, like a Mission Viejo Laguna Beach, that region. Yeah. Yeah. Just rock hard, like cement, yeah. you know? Very easy to ride. Yep. That's uh, why Neil claims to be so good <laughs> on a bike. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Neil. Friend Neil of the podcast. Um, okay. So, uh, Let's talk about loose, and then we'll get to medium. Let's okay. go to the other end of the spectrum. Okay, loose can be a different different things. There's there's many different things within loose. Yes, so loose can be sandy. Mm -hmm. Loose can be mulchy and loamy. Yes, loose could also you could argue be technically muddy. Yeah, or like kitty litter. Yeah, kitty litter would be muddy. That's like true. think Mammoth Mountain, uh -huh. where you have decomposed granite. You'd never have like a solid base structure under the loose material. Yeah, so. Loose usually refers to not like endless depth of looseness. Of course. We're usually talking about just the surface is loose, mm -hmm. right? Uh, now, when we're talking loose over hard, what we're talking about is usually when a hard surface starts to break down, it gets pebbles, it gets some sort of like a- Like silty fines. Yep, something Fines like would that. be what it would be called. Yeah, 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 yeah. Something that rests on top of it. And mm -hmm. then so you're dealing with that slip plane basically between your tires and the hard surface Think underneath. Micro marbles, tiny little marbles on top of a hard surface. Yep, absolutely. Or crumbly dirt yes. that's kind of sitting on top. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, when you're getting into wet, or I should say mud- Mud, I've actually found that in many cases, a sand tire, or like this, you'd use a similar tire for deep sand and mm -hmm. mud. Yes. Um, now, the one difference is the fact that with mud or sand sheds off the tire very easily. Whereas mud, mud tends to clump. Tends to clump. Mm -hmm. So uh, mud is pretty straightforward what you're dealing with. I yeah. think like people get that. Yeah. Um, it's very wet dirt. Um, now, you can have different types of mud. Uh, now, if you have mud that's greasy on top of a hard surface, it's kind of like at a very extreme loose over hard. And in many cases, that sort of mud likes to bond to everything. So mm -hmm. it makes your tires slicks. Yes. As far as what tire is best for that, it's called no tires. Like no yeah, tires. Nothing's great. great in that. Yep. You know, you do have options in that, you know, super loose, you know, think um, Magic Mary, Maxis Spiker. You know, the, the big thing about a mud specific tire is you want the ability for whatever your tread blocks are to move 
yes, as flex. to flex. That way it self-clears the mud off or it attempts to self-clear the mud off. They usually roll very slowly, relatively speaking. They're ter- and on dry, they're terrible tires. Yeah, because they give and they roll underneath you. Yes. But in mud, everything is giving and rolling underneath you. Mm-hmm. So the tire being able to flex a bit actually increases some confidence. Yes. Now, if you're running, if you're running in a situation where you have a hard surface and muddy on top, which is very common in California, mm-hmm. In that scenario, I actually think that going with a tire that has more casing exposed than knobs is in many cases very good. Yeah. Like the Aspen, for example, puts a lot of casing on the ground in addition to putting the knobs. Yes. And the reason that's good is because you're increasing surface area. Yeah. So you want that surface area to catch. And then you also, if you have a tire like the Icon that has a ton of grooves in there because so many little treads, a lot of the time it can pack in with mud and it gets very hard for that to come out. Yeah. Whereas a normal mud tire will be more spread out. Mm-hmm. So um, I feel like we got... We got loose. Medium is usually what you're dealing with when you have a consistent surface that isn't fully hard pack but isn't fully loose. I know that sounds somewhat nebulous, but basically the difference between medium and then loose over hard is the fact that you have varying densities or varying behaviors. Two different soil. medias almost. Yes, exactly. Whereas medium will be something that's yeah. directly in the in between. Yeah. So like you'll have something that's consistent. It's not going to have different mediums on top. That's so. fair. Yeah, I agree. Hopefully that helps. Hopefully. Tires are tricky, man. They are. Ted's question says- Good old Ted. Good old Ted. I enjoy his ex. (laughs) Get it. I got it. The talks. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. He says, I would love if you could do a show on plus hardtails, geometry to look for, and where plus hardtails fit in. I'm looking at the specialized fuse, Trek, Roscoe, and Santa Cruz Chameleon. We are going to do that in a future episode. That is a teaser. We're going to do a, if we we were getting a hardtail for racing- for free riding mm-hmm. or for any other purpose, what it would be. Yeah. So we'll each pick three bikes and we'll go through all the details on them. Word. Uh, Steve, do you want to close it out with some tips? Yes. You don't care they're counting on your tips to live? All right, Steve, you want to go first? Sure. Does yours have to do with riding? Right. I'm curious. Like bikes? Yeah, it does. Oh, cool. Yeah, it actually does. Some, sometimes you talk about lights and stuff. So, I, that's yeah. been ages, <laughs> Sorry, and you've yelled at me so many times <laughs> about doing that. I'm not allowed to. <laughs> what are you talking about now? Um, so recently, I ended up... Um, I've gotten a little frustrated with losing bottles with the fabric cageless systems. Yeah. I, I went so long without losing them. And then I found over time, as you keep tightening the T the T bosses down, they just keep wearing and wearing and wearing, and then the bottles get to a point where they just don't want to grip anymore. Yeah. Um, so I ended up going back to traditional bottle cages. Okay. With my trusty Trainer Road bottles. Nice. Um, there you go. Nice. I, I steal them every time I'm here. I have Good. like a whole box of them at home. <laughs> don't tell That's me where they've been going. No, I'm just kidding. Joking. I only have like four. Um, but I ended up trying the the Supercaz Fly. Anno bottle cages. Huh. The things are 18 grams. They're lighter than pretty much any carbon fiber one that yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah. And holy crap, do they like just hold bottles perfectly. There we go. And huh. I got the oil slick ones because... Because Tiffany? Well, but I put them on my Super X. I didn't put them on Tiffany. So. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so so I've got this beautiful green and black and dark you, charcoal. You're going to get bike. the Tiffany ones custom painted, right? To match? Maybe. <laughs> You don't know me. <laughs> no, but so I put the the oil slick ones and I ended up putting the oil slick bar end caps on as well. Good fine. And I switched to all black grip tape, by the way. Uh, so nice. I'm murdered out now. No more Some, colored stuff. Somebody's yelling right now, like yelling about king cages. King cage people, like 
the advocacy for king cages, I get it. You know, they're good, sure, whatever, like, neat. Who? But Yeah, there you go, yeah. <laughs> I really upset him. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, time for, for my tip. This one's going to be uh, definitely related to bikes, but it could be other things, and it's wool socks. Um, yes. I know that sounds willy, or silly, <laughs> well, willy, mm-hmm. um, but wool socks and thin wool socks. Mm-hmm. It's wintertime, a lot of people are riding outside. Don't get a thick sock. Get a thin sock. Yes. Chances are if you have cold issues with your shoes or with your feet, uh, it could be due to circulation as much as it could be to insulation. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people uh, end up getting really thick socks because they want to stay warm, but it doesn't really help. So I recommend getting some uh, socks like Smartwool has great socks. They do. Uh, they're going to be thinner. You can get the thinner socks that they have. Uh, they're not too much thinner, thicker than like a dress sock, mm-hmm. but they're wool. They're great at moisture wicking. Your feet don't get cold and clammy. And, uh, it's a better way to manage it. Totally. And then if you're trying to manage the, the, the heat loss from there, cover your shoes and shoe covers. I don't like toe covers. I don't feel that they work very well. No. So use a shoe cover. Mm-hmm. Um, it, don't use one that doesn't allow your foot to breathe. So you'll want one that isn't like a full neoprene material yeah. or like a full, like a, like a, I don't know, like a shoe cover. That's like the, uh, Velo toes, for yeah. example, those are basically just latex. Yeah. It'll just be a sweat box after oh, yeah. that. So don't have something like that. Instead, have something that actually can breathe but is insulating. And then if you're really having problems, put a toe warmer, not inside your shoe, because in most cases, if it's like an XC shoe, it's hard to fit one in there. Yeah. But put a toe warmer in between that shoe cover and your shoe. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, then it can really help. And then it doesn't get that you know situation where you're stuck up against a really hot toe warmer. Yeah. So that's my tip and, for keeping the toes warm. Yeah, and wool has been a life changer and everything like for shoes and feet. Cause yeah. I've noticed recently that my feet start to get cold mm. and, uh, I may or may not have taken the dogs for a hike, um, the other day yeah. on Hunter Creek, yeah. which is a local trail. Yeah, yeah. And I may or may not have slipped on a icy rock and landed like, Ow. and soaked myself in oh. the Creek, which oh. is like ice cold, but I was wearing <laughs> wool socks. Nice. So my feet may have been soaked, but they stayed warm the entire time. So yeah, really helpful. Yeah, super helpful. So that's the cool thing about wool is it stays warm even when it's wet. Yep. And then if it's really, really wet outside and you're riding, you can also tape up vents in your shoes. Yeah, that's true. So that can work too. Yeah. Yeah. Or like wrap your shoe in aluminum foil like Keegan Swenson's been doing recently. I've yeah. been saying. Because then the government also can't hear what your toe is thinking. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and on that note, we'll talk to everybody next week. Uh, thanks for joining us. Remember, head to mtbpodcast.com and go to the store to get all of your mountain bike parts. Just click on that Worldwide Cyclery banner. They're awesome. Good people. Uh, please do that. And we will talk to you all soon. Have a nice day. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.